Well, hey, friends, welcome to the Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show today. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, This episode was honestly uh, pretty therapeutic for me, uh, if I'm being truthful. It It was really fun to reminisce and think back about these mules and these people that have influenced me so much. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a bunch of people that have really helped me out. But also, I want to talk about um, five mules that have taught me so much. And these five mules I'm going to mention, that I'm going to mention in the show, they uh, they have pretty much shaped what I do, and they have shaped how I teach. So they're pretty important. So hope you enjoy this. As always, if you guys could share this episode, send it to a friend. Tell your friends about it, post on social media, leave a review. Any of that would be so helpful to get this out to the world. And with that, I also need to give a big shout out to these sponsors. These these sponsors are um, they're the ones responsible for making this episode free for you to listen to. So we got to give them some thanks. We got Mules and More Magazine, Diamond W Enterprises, Colt Saddlery. Roman Homes, Western Mule Magazine, and last but not least, Boyd Ranch Mule Days, which we are gearing up for coming up here in March. Can't wait for Mule Days. So anyways, all these people, all these organizations, they are amazing. Please support them. If you talk to any of them, tell them you heard about them on the podcast. Tell them thank you for supporting this show. And with that, let's get this episode started. Probably my favorite thing to do is to learn. And I owe so much gratitude to all of my teachers and influencers. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, I really owe a thanks to. Um, I could go on and on. I mean, you know, definitely the probably the the most influential person on my horsemanship and my mulemanship has got to be my dad. You know, my dad rode colts for a living, trained horses and mules, and that's how he brought me up, was working with mules and horses every day. I remember sitting in school, and I could not wait to go home. And I remember trying to get my homework done on the bus, get my homework done at school. I did not want to go home with homework. I wanted to be able to go home and ride. And that's kind of what, you know, my, my dad expected of me too, really to, all right, when I get home, we're going to ride. That's what we did. And, you know, my dad tells stories about me sitting in the, you know, car seat, stroller, whatever you want to call it, even as a baby, uh, while he worked Colts in the round pen. And as I grew up, uh, that was pretty much my my entire childhood was watching my dad work cults. I mean, that's what what I did. And he did an amazing job at putting me in that atmosphere. I mean, that's what we live for. Me and my brothers, um, my little sister, that's what we lived for was 
going camping every weekend, riding mules, riding horses. I mean, that's what we did. Later on in high school, all of us, all four of us kids got into, you know, rodeo quite a lot. And that became pretty much what we did on weekends in, in that stage in life. But prior to high school, camping, riding, packing, fishing, hunting. I mean, that's that was my childhood. And, you know, I could go on and on about about that. My dad taught me so much. Um, kind of, things changed quite a bit for me in college. Um, probably the next most influential person on me, and you guys have heard me talk about him many times, is uh, the late Louis Fields. Um, Louis Field was, I mean, he was an amazing man. Just a dang good human. He taught me so many life lessons. I needed him at that stage of my life. He pushed me. Uh, he gave me a whole new set of standards. You know, I've, I've told this, I've told this story before on this podcast. So if you guys are, if you're a longtime listener, you've heard this. And if you guys come to my clinics, you've heard this too, but I remember a huge change in my standards, um, when this happened, I was, it was at the first college rodeo of the season. I'm a freshman, brand new, my first college rodeo. I'm competing against some pretty talented individuals riding Bronx and, uh, did really good. Ended up winning that rodeo first rodeo there. And I was feeling pretty hot. <laughs> you know, if I'm being honest, uh, feeling pretty dang cool. And I remember Louie came up and he started um, just kind of tearing me up a little bit um, on different aspects of my ride. Now, later I learned that, man, Louie was genius. He was a genius at being able to break apart and analyze the entire ride. It, It was just incredible. He could say... You know, on your third jump, your your left foot was low in the shoulder and your right toe wasn't turned out and you quit lifting on your rein on the fifth jump. I mean, he could just, he was so detailed. He could slow the entire ride down. Now, being a freshman at that time, you know, I hadn't been around him that much. And so I thought, man, this guy's just coming at me. And here I just won the rodeo and and he's just, hitting me up and down on this ride. Holy cow. And I made a dumb comment. (laughs) So dumb. I said, well, I won the rodeo, didn't I? And he said, well, did you score a hundred on either of those horses? I'd ride two Bronx to, you know, at that rodeo. He said, did you score a hundred on either of those Bronx? I said, no, sir. And he said, well, there's work to do. And he walked away. <laughs> and that basically sums up the standard that Louis had. Uh, it was phenomenal. He, he had high standards in everything he did. I wish I would have paid more attention to his horsemanship because that guy was quite the horseman, an amazing cowboy, just a great stockman. And... 
amazing at getting those bucking horses to do their job. A lot of the lessons I learned from him, I apply in my clinics. I just do the reverse of them because he was an expert at getting these horses to buck. And it taught me a lot of things what not to do if I don't want them to buck. Fast forward a little bit. It is now 2011. And uh, going to a spring college rodeo. And I have a horse flip over on me, flip over backwards on me. After the eight second, after the eight seconds, um, pickup men are about to ride up. The horse stops, comes over backwards, and crushes my left leg pretty bad. Um, kicks me in the head, and uh, things changed right there. Uh, it took a long time for my leg to heal up, and. Uh, I didn't get to ride mules, definitely didn't get rodeo um, for a long time. And that was another one of those turning points in life. And uh, it got me really thinking about horsemanship, mulemanship. What do I, what do I want to do? What is life like? be on rodeo now i'd always wanted to ride you know for a living definitely i mean rodeo was definitely at a point in my life uh you know a critical part of it and i thought hey i'm in a rodeo and i had all these goals these rodeo goals and uh but in the back of my mind too i i just wanted to be a cowboy i mean that's what i've always wanted to be is just be able to ride for a living and of course, even during all these rodeo years, I was, I was training for the public. I was, I was riding colts, um, and a lot of them too. I mean, you know, I was definitely busy, but this wreck happened and it definitely changed priorities for me very quick. And right about that time, uh, Buck Brannaman's, um, documentary came out if you haven't seen the documentary buck highly recommend it it's a it's a good one it's a really good one and uh i thought you know what i want to do that right there that looks like the job that i want to do and uh, if you guys don't know who buck brandman is you need to look him up great horseman incredible horseman in fact, he is the he is the best horseman I've ever I've ever watched in my life with my own eyes, and uh, so uh, that couldn't have came along at a at a better time. I thought, you know, I've I've put so much focus on rodeo and all these dreams and goals, and um, you know, looking back now and comparing myself to. Um, uh, to to a lot of my friends that went on to be very successful. I mean, I I've got a lot of friends that went on to be world champions. A lot of them went on to multiple NFR qualifications. I mean, a lot of success in that little circle that I 
hung out with. Uh, really incredible to see what they got done. But looking back, you know, it's it's always easier to have that 2020 vision, you know, uh, looking back, right? Uh, I don't think I had it in me, honestly. And this is probably the first time I've, I'm ever really actually saying this out loud. But I don't think I had it in me um, what it would take to compete at that level that I had hoped for at that time. And now, honestly, I am so, I am so grateful that, uh, my life shifted and God put, uh, put these opportunities before me in the way he did at the time. I mean, it really sucked because really it took a massive injury, um, that still has a lot of lingering effects. Um, a massive injury to, to basically change me. It, it really did. And then the timing of, like I mentioned, Buck's documentary and the timing of what, what happened at that moment in our business. Um, you know, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that just came our way right then. It, it's amazing. And looking back, I'm so grateful for it. I really am. So that got me, looking at being better at horsemanship and mulemanship up to that point i basically just existed and and you guys have heard me i've talked in previous episodes kind of about my horsemanship and mulemanship journey and i've mentioned my friend brad cameron and he's been on here uh you gotta listen to brad's episode brad is he's a stud he's a cool guy uh and you know he's to blame for kind of introducing me to this style of mulemanship and horsemanship. In fact, he's the one that, I mean, he, he's the, he's the one that I heard the term mulemanship from, uh, in the beginning anyways. I mean, I never even heard of the term mulemanship. I heard of horsemanship. I just never put a mule in front of it. And, uh, you know, he did. And, you know, he, he, he introduced me to all these, these things, um, you know, his videos were a, were a huge part of the work that I did at that time. But after getting hurt and taking my focus off of rodeo and putting my focus on mulemanship, I think I just began to blossom. And uh, I just, my brain just went crazy with learning. I, I love to learn and like I said, it's one of my favorite things to do. And that ignited something in me to want to learn and want to be better and want to continue going. And I've rode in a, a few clinics with Buck over the years and and I've kind of sprouted my wings a little bit. And I've got to ride with Martin Black multiple times. And he's taught me a lot. Uh, that guy is an incredible stockman and cowboy. I've, uh, I mean, I've just been so grateful for the stockmanship that he's taught me. It's really helped me understand mules and horses better by learning about cattle and learning about basically stockmanship tactics, how to be around cattle, how to handle cattle, how to pay attention that guy, Martin, he's so good at reading cows and the detail by which he, he can pay attention to cattle is the detail by which I hope I can pay attention to mules and horses. And, uh, 
you know, getting around him, of course, led to uh, learning and studying uh, from Dr. Steve Peters, an incredible individual. That guy is brilliant. I mean, so amazingly smart uh, with the brain. And the things that he has presented and brought forth with, um, you know, learning how to read the brain, learning how the brain works, learning about, you know, what's going on internally. Because up to this, you know, up to this point before I was introduced to Steve Peters' work, it's just paying attention to the external, what what I can see. And, and, and he put the pieces together of this is what's happening internally when the mule or the horse is doing that externally. Another game changer. And uh, I try to study anything I can from these people to try to get better. You know, Sky is always, uh, she she's always noticing how much I, I really want to learn and how much I study. And I get the question all the time uh, from from my students. They're like, "Well, why are you?" Why are you going to a clinic? You're you 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 know so much. Why are you? Why do you study that? Why do you keep learning that? And it reminds me of a story. And I might have shared this before too, but long story short, some college kids noticed a professor studying books every night, and he's reading and he's working, he's studying, and they ask professor. You you know more than anybody. You you know so much. You you're you're amazing. How why do you uh, why do you study every night like that? And he says, I want my students. I'd rather have my students drinking from a, uh, drinking from running water than a uh, than a stagnant pond. You know, and that's what I want to be like. I want to be running water. I want to have continual learning, continual information coming um just a couple weeks ago i had the opportunity to go ride with martin black up at his uh his ranch the shoe fly uh up in western southwestern idaho bruno idaho and uh you know i i love going up there and hanging out i like to be around people that are way better than me (laughs) i really do uh I like to be pushed. Um, it might sound really weird, but I like the feeling of inadequacy, of that vulnerability. I like to feel that because I know if I can get through that, if I can weather that storm of vulnerability, if I can get through that that moment of time where I feel so, um, so below, um, feel so, you know, whatever the word is inept and unable and whatever. Uh, if I can get through that, I'm going to be better. And I think I really learned to embrace that feeling because, you know, it is a, it is a, bad feeling. It's, it's not something that most of us want to hang out in. 
And I only enjoy it because I know what comes after that. But I think I learned to embrace that feeling of inadequacy and the feeling of not being good at something. When I was rodeoing for Louie, um, he pushed us that way. Here we are just, you know, when I was rodeoing, just a college kid, you know, sure. I had some high school and, and college, you know, accolades, but those college and high school accolades were nothing compared to a five-time world champion. And the thousand or so bucking horses I had been on up to that point in college were nothing compared to the thousands of bucking horses that Louie had ridden and been around. And I think I got, I don't know if I'd say got used to the feeling of inadequacy then, but I definitely learned to embrace it because I had somebody there that was way better that I could look up to, I could learn from. I still like to put myself in that position. And this year, riding with Martin, I really wanted to work on roping. I'm trying to improve my roping. Um, I've always roped, I should say this. I've always swung a rope and caught stuff, you know, as a kid carrying a rope around, roping buckets and chairs and cats and dogs and brothers and sister and, you know, whatever. Uh, I did that. I had no formal training. And to say the least, uh, because of that, I have I have a whole bunch of really bad habits that I'm trying to fix up. And Martin is a he's an incredible roper. Um, his ranch roping abilities are just amazing. Uh, and he's way better. And what the, what happens when you put yourself in that situation of being around somebody that's way better than you is, yeah, it 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 doesn't feel that great. You have feelings of inadequacy. You have feelings of being vulnerable. The thing that gets in the way the most is our ego and pride. And when I get to put myself in these positions to be with these amazing individuals, it forces me to push my ego and my pride aside. And we all have ego and pride. We just have to decide how powerful we're going to let that pride and ego be. How much are you going to feed that pride and ego? And I tell you what, when you put yourself in situations around teachers, around people that are better than you, you starve that ego and you starve that pride and it shrinks. And I think that's why I like to put myself in those positions. And it's hard. It really is. Uh, even for me, you know, because I go from being teacher guy and the guy that, you know, supposed to have the answers, the guy that's supposed to know stuff, the guy that's supposed to be confident. And then I go into a student position and it's tough. And so those of you that come to my clinics, and want to learn from me, I know how you feel because I put myself there every year. Every year I try to do continuing education of some kind. And I like to ask questions. And a lot of people feel like they can't ask a question because it'll make them look dumb. It'll make them look weak. 
It'll make them look stupid, whatever you think. You're wrong. That's wrong. And I know how it feels because I felt the same way too. But uh, it's it, you're not dumb. In fact, it's amazing the respect that people give you when you ask questions. Um, whenever I've asked any of my teachers questions, they've showed a, a unique interest in me. It's like because I asked them a question, the teacher now has a little bit of ownership in my actions because they give me the suggestion. And it's like they respect me more. Not that I'm trying to, you know, I'm not trying to get their respect necessarily. Um, but it, it does change the dynamic. More so than if I didn't ask them questions, if I just sat around. Asking questions shows that I'm interested in working with them, interested in trying to be better. When you don't ask questions, the teacher may think, well, I don't know why they're here. Maybe they're not interested in what I have to say. So ask your questions. Don't worry about the vulnerability of it. Put your ego and pride aside. I asked Martin a question. And it was it was very sincere. And I I asked him this out of basically I, I don't know I don't know what to do at this point. I don't know what I'm supposed to continue learning. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't feel like I know everything, okay? I definitely don't feel like I know everything. But I asked him, Martin, what, what, I've asked you questions all week, and I have, you know, particular questions about everything from maneuvers to cattle to stock to uh, tack to gear. I mean, I asked him all kinds of questions, but I asked him, what, what should I, what what should I work on now? What what should I what should I be focusing on? What should I be doing? And he did not answer me directly. But he did tell me about when he was around Tom Dorrance. And long story short, he basically said that Tom gave him the hint that, you know what, maybe you should stop asking me so many questions and you should start asking the horse. And um, so <laughs> I guess Martin was trying to give me a hint too to stop asking him so many questions, stop bugging him so much and start asking the horse start asking the mule and uh, I like being around Martin he is a big advocate for experimenting he he jokes and I've kind of taken it from him too he jokes about being a mad scientist and so I kind of still that too and like to think that I'm a mad scientist with these mules and 
start asking them questions. Start experimenting with them. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun if if I take a, a little bit of time here and talk about a few mules that have really come to influence my life, my thoughts, my actions. The, a lot of these mules have basically shaped up uh, what I am and who I am. And so I want to give these mules a little bit of credit. So let's talk about them. Rosie was the first mule that was ever actually like my mule. Um, from my memory, I think I was probably about eight years old. And Rosie was uh, just a sweet little red Molly mule. And although I don't remember a lot about about her. What I do remember was how gentle she was. That mule was so gentle. And I think she kind of gave me the standard of what I should be working to get my mules to. And I think that, that helped me a lot because, you know, besides Rosie, a lot of the mules that I was around mules that my dad was starting for the public especially those training meals for the public, because I mean, people would bring us some rough stuff and looking back, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know really how rough they truly were. I mean, I had the, the perspective as a child at that time. And I mean, it, it just seemed like everything was really rough and it was all really challenging. And here comes Rosie and she is just the most friendliest, easiest going little Molly mule. And, um, I got a lot of childhood memories riding Rosie around. I, I, I remember I loved how red she was. We'd ride out in the desert a lot. This, this desert used to where I live now and it's all red rock canyons. And I just loved that she was the same color as the red rock. And I remember riding her out there in that sand, that red rock, that slick rock Canyon country. And just thinking I was so cool because I had this red mule and, and, uh, she was a sweetheart. And so even though I, I can't tell you a whole much more about Rosie, because honestly, I don't remember a lot. Um, I do remember how gentle she was and that's always been a goal of mine. Um, whenever I work with any of these animals, um, yeah, you've most of you listening have been around me at a clinic, and, and yes, I really appreciate a mule with a really good handle. I love the buttons. I like to be able to turn and stop and back up and walk, trot, and lope and change leads and leg yield and side pass and you know be able to rope something and pack and lead a pack string. I mean, I I like to do all that stuff. But I'll tell you what, all that stuff is way easier when they're gentle. And, and I think it was that little meal, Rosie, that gave me that standard of gentle. As I just remember how much I enjoyed that meal. She was just so sweet. And I always want to get them gentle. That is my top objective. And even more so now, I think of 
these different points in my life and, and what interests me and what I want to work on, what I want to do. And like right now, you know, I got Alien Swayze at the time of this recording, you know, um, Ellie's 10, Swayze's 8. And I need gentle, I need gentle mules around here. I mean, um, you know, they're, Ellie and Swayze, neither of them are interested in, in writing cults. They're not interested in, in the training aspect as far as starting cults and, and going through um, the early stages. They're not interested in writing something that's a little scared, a little spooky, and, and not, you know, I don't blame them. They want gentle. They want them gentle. And I'm also trying to put together a, a nice little herd of student mules, mules that people like you, if you – if this, uh, you know, pertains to you, you'd come out here to my place in Utah and, you know, I'm, I'm far away from everybody. Uh, so it'd be a lot easier for, for some folks just to fly out here and, and use a mule. And so, yeah, these student mules, they're not going to be handy. They're not going to be super, you know, super handy mules. Um, but I need them gentle so that people can come out here and be a student and they can learn and they can work on these mules and they can hopefully leave the mule better than they found it by doing the work that we teach. But the mule has to be gentle. I can't have, you know, the majority of my students coming out here riding something that's a real handful. They have to be gentle. And so that's kind of the stage I'm at with what I'm trying to do with my, my Colts and what I'm trying to build here. And so, you know, I got to thank Rosie way back when for giving me that standard of gentle. Now, uh, the next mule that, that taught me a lot, uh, completely opposite of Rosie. This was a mule named Snickers. And, uh, Snickers, oh boy, oh boy, this dude is a handful. Uh, but looking back, I wish I had a had a chance at him now with with you know what I do now, because I, I got I got all the tools to fix them. I mean, I I you know the problems I had with them primarily were saddling. Okay. This mule, as you walked up to him with a saddle, you better be ready to get kicked at. He's going to kick at you. And I remember holding the saddle up to block his kicks. He'd kick at the saddle. He'd kick the saddle. And I just look about him like, oh, I'm so lucky he didn't just kick me in the head and drop me. You know, um, my age is probably 11, 12 years old, uh, somewhere in there. 11, 12, 13, that, that time period is when I had him. And, uh, man, he'd kick at you when you're walking up to him. You go through the saddle on and he would jump and buck and, and kick and throw a fit. He'd usually dump the saddle off multiple times. And after he'd dumped the saddle off a couple times, he'd stand there finally and you'd get the saddle on, cinch him up and, and, and he was pretty well okay. And pretty well okay, mostly because I, I realized as a kid, I didn't ask him to do a lot of hard things. I just rode him. I didn't ask him hard questions like moving body parts and getting technical with getting a handle on him. 
I was just trying to write them and trying to get them gentle. <laughs> like that's pretty much what I did. And I got along with them because of that. You know, we never really fixed the saddling problem. And, and it got to the point where I basically would just tie a leg up. I tie a leg up and I saddle them up, which is completely survival by avoidance. You know, I mean, you know, I, I'm not against tying a leg up if, if you have to do some type of emergency procedure. I mean, if I, if, if I need to, you know, if, if this mule has a, has a problem and, and I need to, uh, you know, I don't know what an example would be, I guess. I mean, maybe he's got a big old gash, big old cut, and I can't doctor him, you know, without uh, picking up a hind leg or something like that. Well, I, I'm going to do it. I don't care. Um, you know, whatever needs to be done. But it doesn't fix anything, you know. Uh, and and I and looking back at this mule, he he taught me that. Because you think after you tie his leg up, you know, riding him, you know, a few hundred times that maybe you could finally put a saddle on. No, he was just as bad to saddle after tying his leg up a hundred times as he was the first time. It didn't fix anything. It didn't do anything. The only thing it did was help me to survive by avoiding the problem. I could get a saddle on him and, and take, take it down, whatever I was, I was fine. Uh, but it didn't fix anything anything. And he taught me that. He showed me that. He said, you know, there's nothing, you're not solving anything here, dude, kid. You know, you're, you're not fixing anything. You're, you're not improving anything. I didn't help him physically or mentally. And, um, I remember one, one of the times that I was, um, most frustrated um, with this mule. And again, this is just all my fault. All, all this stuff, you know, as a kid, it, it's just all my fault, but I was going to go ride by myself and, um, which is not a big deal. I rode by myself all the time as a kid and you know, there's, yeah, whatever you could say, well, there's risk, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, you got to grow up and, and, you know, yeah, you got to grow up sometime. You can't have somebody babysitting you all the time. And so I rode a lot by myself as a kid up in the hills and mountains and, you know, at home, out back and whatever. And um, I was going to go ride by myself out there in the hills. And I had, uh, I was on Snickers and I was ponying another little mule. I don't, I don't remember the mule I was ponying, um, but I was ponying something else. Well, we had to, about a, I got about a mile away from home, and we had to jump this this concrete uh, irrigation ditch. And so picture an irrigation ditch lined with some concrete on both sides. You know, it's only only a few feet wide. It ain't like it's a big deal. And of course, Snickers he he'd pretty much go anywhere I wanted him to go. Like I said, I didn't really get him handy, but I got him to where he'd go wherever I want. And so Snicker, uh, here's here's the mistake I made we're approaching this and I feel the other mule kind of pulling on me. And so I just go ahead and start taking a bunch of dallies. And, you know, of course I'm a dumb kid. I'm not thinking about slipping rope. I'm not thinking about, you know, managing that slack at all. I'm just, I'm just going to take a bunch of dallies 
so I tell you multiple times. I spur Snickers, and he he goes to jump across the the irrigation ditch. Well, now you need to also picture Snickers. This mule's like not even fourteen hands. I mean, he's just a little guy. Like picture thirteen too, just just a little guy. And he goes to jump this irrigation ditch, and the other mule puts the brakes on, and basically jerks Snickers back. And that mule's like a cat. He he somehow jumped out of that without falling down. But in the process, since that rope was dallied around that horn so many darn times, because I was a dumb kid and didn't know how to manage that. I'm not against, uh, you know, don't, don't take this like, oh, never dally. You just need to be a professional about it. That's all. Not a dumb kid. And uh, so as he jumps out of that, the rope basically clotheslines me out of the saddle. But as it clotheslines me, I, I come out of the seat, but my my boot and my spur get hung up in that rope against the saddle. So picture my leg tight against that uh, saddle, my foot and ankle tight against that saddle with that rope holding it down. And now Snickers proceeds to absolutely buck and jump and run. And I am hanging upside down. And I just remember as he's jumping and kicking, he'd come down, he landed on my fingers multiple times, landed on my hand, stepped on my hand multiple times. And I just remember my hand being completely, both my hands bloody and this mule jumping. And I'm just thinking my dad is going to kick my butt. Cause he's going to, and finally I, I come out of the, I come out of there and the mules go running home to running home. And next thing I know, here comes my dad up the road. <laughs> I'm going to get my butt kicked. Uh, not, not for, you know, doing anything other than dallying up multiple times. And, uh, man, what a dumb kid. And, you know, I just was like, man, I got to get this. I got to get these things more gentle, better. Uh, and, and also I need to pay attention. And I, you know, it, it was, it was just that moment like that, that I realized, okay, if you're gonna, if you're gonna take some dallies like the big boys, you better learn how to operate it like the big boys do. Uh, you know, just wrap it around the horn and, that was the worst wreck I got in with, with Snickers and whatever meal I was poning at the time. I don't remember it. And it was between the saddling stuff and things like that, that I just, um, yeah, I, I just never really made a whole lot of progress with him. I didn't really get a whole lot done, you know, but, uh, but I learned that big lesson, you know, about tying his leg up that, it's not going to help anything. I mean, yeah, I can get the saddle on right now. And so I learned, I guess I learned that, yeah, I could use it in emergency, you know, I have to get something done, but he was the same mule hundred times later as he was the first round. So I didn't solve anything. So that's Snickers. Um, and I don't know where he ended up. I, I know I, I got pretty well sick of him at some point. I think my, well, my dad got sick of him and was like, you know, I, we, you know, 
we're not getting anything done here with this mule and he's dangerous. Um, so I don't know where he ended up, but then came along, uh, probably one of my favorite mules of all time. And this mule is still alive. Uh, my buddy, my good friend, Dirk Seitz owns him now. And this mule is raising Dirk's grandkids now. And, and that's really fun, really fun. But the next meal I want to talk about is Bud. And uh, I, I know a lot of you listening, you, you probably know Bud. You probably remember Bud because um, we've been doing clinics. We're going on 12 years, but probably the first four or five years of doing clinics, I had, I had Bud. Bud was my main mule. And so a lot of you have seen him. I used Bud to help me, um, you know, win a couple of the, uh, the titles that I won back in 15 and 16. And, and, uh, he's been around, uh, but Bud, Bud was interesting because he, he had the, the most, uh, I don't know how you describe it. Like the most, uh, flamboyant personality like that guy he he just had a such a big personality he 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 was his personality is very loud and he's interesting and uh one of the friendliest meals i ever had um <laughs> when we got him uh whoever we got him from they would let him in the house they would let him in their house and they would feed him all kinds of uh, like treats like like Twinkies and oatmeal cookies and oatmeal cream pies and like all kinds of weird cupcakes and crap like that. And to say the least, he was he was a spoiled little son of a gun uh on the start. But this mule taught me how to appreciate a mule with heart. That mule had so much try. Um, you know, I took him to Bishop Mule Days, and I'd enter the races, and and he he was never successful at the at the long races. You know, Sky had some success with one of her mules named Oprah. Um, in those long races, she she won them one year, but I'd enter Bud, and and we would do really good in the little races, the short little. Uh, what the, I think there's the smallest ones, a hundred yards or something like that, hundred yards, two hundred yards, and he just had such a rapid, fast start. And I would enter him in, in all those uh, fun games and stuff like that. And he was just so fast on the start. He was just so fun. He would try so hard. Uh, and I remember going to brandings with him. And Bud was another little mule. He's just a little guy, barely 14 hands also. And, uh, you know, I, I'd rope a, a calf that was maybe a little too big for, for him to hold, and he'd drag drag it to the fire, and I'd move his hip over, and, and he would just lean back on the rope, tried so hard to hold that calf. And I just love how he tried. He just put, he put effort into it. Bud was also interesting because he he was a mule that I had at what I consider that transition point. I talked already about 
that point where I shifted my focus from rodeo to mules and horses. And Bud was the mule I had. He was my mule at that point. He was my, my main ride. Um, and I used him to start colts and I used him to pony and uh, he, he worked that mule really worked for a living and I started doing clinics and I used him to demonstrate. And, um, you know, he was, he was just my bud, you know? And, um, he, he showed me how these mules are absolutely adaptable up to that point. I, you know, I, I had, I had heard that myth like, well, this mule learns to do something that, you know, they never forget and they'll always do it. And it just wasn't that way with bud. And, um, I, I rode him a certain way in the beginning and I just kind of rode him around at what I, how I knew, but as I dove further into mulemanship and horsemanship and I, and I learned how to get more particular with each part and, and how to move this end and that end and this foot and that foot. And I, and I began experimenting with filling the feet and moving these feet and all these, just even the mechanical maneuvers were new to me, but this style and this, focus of, of paying attention and being aware and, um, all this stuff that I was, uh, you know, newly learned on, um, he, he took right to it and he changed so, so quick. Uh, he, he made the changes rapidly and I'm thinking, well, all these guys and their stupid myths about the mules never forget and they never change. What, what are you talking about? Because this mule, um, once, I changed and I started working on all these things and being more aware and being a better horseman and muleman. Once I changed, well, he made all kinds of cool changes. He made all kinds of neat things happen and he adapted extremely well. And that gave me a whole new sense of hope for a lot of mules. I thought, well, if they're, if they're, if they do that, then that's what they're always going to do. And that's, you know, there's a point in time that that's what I truly believed. I thought that, yep, they'll, they'll never forget. And and now I realize what a dumb myth that is. And I have absolutely squashed that myth so many times. I've, I've killed that myth. Like it doesn't exist. So if you hear somebody say, oh, the, the, the mule never forget. Well, what are you talking about? That has not been my experience because I've taken all kinds of meals that were trained a certain way. I've taken all kinds of meals that maybe they uh, use this leg position or this rein position or they rode with this bit or that bit or blah, 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 blah. Um, and, I, and I start doing things the way I do it and they change fast. It's not a problem. I can't vouch for every, everything. You know, maybe if you do something different than I do, maybe it doesn't work. Maybe they don't change, but the way I'm doing stuff, I can take a mule that, you know, is having all kinds of issues or trouble or has been rode or, or, you know, worked a certain way. And I can apply the things that, that I know to do now. And it's easy to make changes. And, and Bud, he was really at the forefront of me learning that. Bud was my, he was my, my, you know, I guess you could say my, one of my best lab rats because I experimented so many things with him. Well, let's, let's try uh, doing it like this. Let's try doing it like that. Bud put up with so many things, uh, all kinds of stuff. I used to put my Bronx saddle on him. Um, 
and I would practice my mark out and hold my mark out on him while he, you know, I got him to run around the arena or the round pen, lope around there. And I just practice, hold my mark out. I do all kinds of stuff with him. I mean, I used him to pick up off of, uh, I, you know, rock crawling, used him to rope off of, go to brandings. I mean, I, I used him to work cows. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And it, it was at a crucial point in my life of learning to where I was just trying all kinds of new things and, and doing new stuff. And, and old bud just took right to it. And, uh, I owe a lot to that mule. Um, when, you know, and he, he was, he was my mule. Um, and, you know, I decided at some point that, uh, you know, I wasn't using him to his potential. And, and I had, to, you know, this friend Dirk, I've told you about a great guy, great friend of mine. And, you know, at the time he had his, his daughters that were fairly young, I guess most of them are mature and grown up now. I guess they all are. Uh, so now Bud is babysitting grandkids, Bud's somewhere in his, I guess, uh, well, he was born in 2000. So Bud would be 23 going on 24 and a pretty cool meal. But yeah, he, he taught me a lot. I owe a lot to old Bud for, for dang sure. So yeah, good old Bud. A lot of great memories. You know, he, he ended up reserve world champion at Bishop Mule Days. Um, I can't remember what year, 2014 or something like that. Fun mule. Uh, a lot of great memories with old Bud. Got a lot of good old pictures with him. So the next mule I want to talk about that has taught me a tremendous amount is good old Riata. So a lot of you know Riata. Um, she, I got a lot of videos on the video library of Riata. You know, I mean, you've, you've basically been able to see her watch up, or excuse me, watch her grow up. Uh, if you, if you're on the video library and if you follow our social media, if you come to clinics, you've seen Riata grow up. She's crazily going on nine years old next year in April. Holy crap. She's almost nine. Uh, Riata is probably, well, not probably she is, she is my favorite mule in my life so far. Uh, I just, she's my buddy. So I, I actually won Riata. I didn't even buy her. I won her, um, back in 2015 when I won that very first title at the American Mule Trainers Challenge, um, that Joe Bice put on down in New Mexico. I was invited down there along with Chris French and Paul Garrison, um, and Sean Peterson, uh, we were down there, uh, competing and, and I ended up winning the deal and Riata was the prize. She was, she was the main prize, her and a buckle. I won Riata and I got a buckle for it. Um, and you know, I didn't know what I was going to do with her. Um, you know, to be honest, I really didn't want a, a baby mule. I mean, I wasn't interested. I, what am I going to do with that? you know, but, um, <laughs> she's just stuck around. She's stuck around for now, almost nine years going on nine years. It's crazy. Uh, but let me tell you what was cool about Riata. And let me tell you what I've learned from Riata. So 
since we raised her, basically since a weanling, uh, I got to take her through my entire program and make a bridal mule out of her from the very beginning. She was the, she was the first one. Well, and the only one that I have done this with, um, I got others that are in the works, but she's the only one I've completed from wheeling all the way to the bridal. She was the first one. And, you know, up to that point, I had a lot of mules that I took through the snaffle bit and hackamore stages. I'd get them in the hackamore and they'd be getting so darn good. And somebody would come along with some money and I'd sell them. And then maybe I'd get something in for training that was a little further advanced and I'd take them to the hackamore and, and, you know, maybe think about getting them into the bridal stages and, and then I'd sell them. Um, you know, so I, I had never, uh, taken one from a weanling, raised it, did the start on it, took it through the snaffle, hackamore, terrain and bridal stages until Riata. So because of that, she has taught me all kinds of things. And, and as I went through this process with her making this bridal mule, and I'd graduated out of the snaffle, and I graduated out of the hackamore, now the two rain into the bridal, I'd look back on each of those stages and I would realize, you know, man, I really should have gotten that better. <laughs> I really should do this better. And because of that, now the mules I start, I'm starting a certain way because of her, because of things that I wanted to have a little bit better, a little sharper, you know. Um, one of my biggest regrets, and, and it's not, I shouldn't say regret because I'm, I'm actually, you know, Riata's still making improvements now, uh, was my leg. I, I, I used way too much hand, way too much rain with Riata. And I, after I kind of went through the process and I had the ability to reflect and look back, that was a regret. Uh, you know, I should have made her more dependent on leg, um, and less dependent on the rain. Uh, that was a big piece there. Um, she also was a big influence on, and if you, you guys have been to a clinic lately, you've heard me just preach and just try to expound on this of getting your mule to follow a feel and operating on a loose rein. And, you know, I think I was just kind of trying to figure that out with Riata. Um, I, I think I used a lot more contact and I was still on the, pressure release mindset when I started working her, meaning when I said, when I say pressure for, for back then, it was a physical pressure and a physical release. Well, now we have, there's a lot more to pressure and release than that. And pressure can mean all kinds of things. And we've talked about that in other episodes and I talk about that in our clinics a lot, but I used a lot of physical pressure and physical release with Riata, whereas the animals I'm working now and these days, if you want to say that, um, it's a lot more mental. And I, I am very much more focused on, you know, really rewarding the slightest try, really being aware of their mental senses, their physical senses, their emotional senses, trying to pay more attention to that. And, 
you know, Rietta has really helped me to, to do that. Um, you know, and, and also she's the one that I guess really, you guys, she's the one to blame of really, really getting me hooked on this style of mulemanship, making bridal mules and bridal horses. Because once you take one through that process, and even though Rietta it is not, um, not the lightest and the most sensitive and, and not the most, you know, pristine in her movements and definitely not the, the most refined. Um, she got me hooked and she got me addicted to this. Uh, I've, I've never had anything that operates as good as Riata did at that moment. You know, when I had went through this process now, the mules I have coming up now, I got, I got Colts in the works and I got other mules. Um, Sky's got a great bridal mule. Um, and you know, uh, they're, they're way, <laughs> I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking a lot, a lot lighter than Riata is and much more refined than Riata is in their movements. But it was Riata really that got me hooked. I mean, hooked uh, with my own experience because up to that point, like I said, I had never raised one, started snaffle, Hackamore, Tourane, bridled any of them. It was only raising them, starting them, selling them. Starting them, snaffle bit, Hackamore, sell them. Start them, snaffle bit, sell them. You know, uh, finish them from the Hackamore, you know, a little bit and, and that kind of stuff. She was the first one all the way through. And that gained me my own experience, which is so important. And, and you know, uh, a fella only is going to be able to totally do that um, a, a few times. Like, I mean, she's nine years old now, finally in the bridal, and, and I still have work to do on her, but this is a huge process. I mean, how many times am I going to be able to do this in my lifetime? I would love to be able to uh, make like 10 bridal meals in my life. If I, That would be pretty neat. If, if I could have 10 of them that I raised and finished out and maybe I'll have more than that, but it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, I have, uh, another one named Hannah coming up. She's in the Hackamore, but I've had multiple people want to want to buy Hannah and I love Hannah so much. I haven't given in yet, but sometimes, uh, you know, especially, you know, the different times of year when you're not working a lot, uh, it sure is tempting to sell one, you know, but, um, so Riyadh is the only one so far and, um, you know, I don't know how many, I'll, how many more I'll get. I sure hope I get a lot more, but, uh, Riyadh got me hooked on that. It's been pretty fun, you know, taking a mule like that, raising it, you, you see all the things that you want to get better on the next one. And there's a saying in horsemanship that, You'll never know how to start one until you've finished one. And you'll never know how to finish one until you've started one. So what that means to me is you know, you, you got to make a few to really, really know the standard by which you should be starting them. And, you know, before Rietta, I guess, really, you could just call me a cult starter. That's 
pretty much what I did is start cults. I, you know, I didn't do much finish work, but I think everybody that, uh, I think it ought to be required, I guess, but it, it, it'd be hard to do this. You'd never be able to really do this in real life, but I think it ought to be required before you can be a cult starter. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta work with some of the finished products. Uh, but that's hard to do. You know, no, no, that'll never happen because that's the entry level cult starting is entry level position in this, uh, industry. That's how you start is being a cult starter. That's uh, pretty much what everybody does. Um, that's the getting your feet wet type of deal, um, is cult starting. So, but tell you what, once you finished them out or whatever you consider finished out to be, then you really get to thinking of how you'd like to start them. That's for dang sure. So she's influenced that tremendously. You know, um, Another mule, and, and this one will be one that a lot of you probably recognize. And, and this one, this one has taught me uh, something that's a little bit harder to talk about. Um, and it's not really fun to talk about for me, but it's important. Um, this mule taught me how to fail. And I talked earlier in this episode about ego and pride and how we should all be striving to starve out and get rid of that ego and that pride and and it'll never be gone it's always going to be there but if we can get rid of it it's good and 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 this mule was one that really just caused me to to swallow my pride swallow my ego and say holy crap you're just uh you're just too much and we're we're just not i'm i'm not going to help you I mean, I just can't help you. I just, I'm not going to do anything for you here. And if you follow along in the video library, I did a entire series on her called the Dally Diaries. So this mule was named Dally and I've, and I've done episodes on Dally before. Uh, definitely without a doubt, the most challenging mule I've worked with to date, for sure. The most difficult. And, and the difficult part about it was the inconsistencies and, you know, looking back now, now that I'm about a year, um, I, I give her away about a year ago and looking back on it, um, I, I'm, I'm seeing things with, with, uh, different eyes, I guess. Um, I'm looking at things differently now. I'm seeing that you know, when I had this mule, how much of a competition I was making it between me and the mule. Um, I'm seeing how, uh, how a lot of the, you know, the work I did was through irritations. And I'm also seeing that, and I, and I think the hardest thing, um, learning was, you know, a lot of the things I did just didn't work. Like it just didn't work. It wasn't helping the mule. And that was hard to swallow. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes was, it, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, blessed are the flexible for they shall not get bent out of shape. <laughs> and I realized looking back now with Dally that really I was not being very flexible. I said, my gosh, Mule, I've, I've, I've trained a few thousand of you and, you know, 
why can't you get it? Thousands of them before you have gotten it. What's wrong with you? And that approach was very conflicting with Dally, um, a very sensitive sort of mule. She was also one of the very first mules I've really got to work with that is truly bred sensitive. I mean, they're bred to bred to work cows, which is so cool to me. Uh, I think it's awesome, like the athleticism and the sensitivity. And, you know, the, the fact of it was is I just couldn't handle it. And that, that was hard to kind of swallow, I thought. Jeez, I mean you know, I wasn't making any progress. And, um, you know, every time I'd ride that mule, um, we were going to go for a bronc ride. And then I'd, you know, when, I guess not every time I'd, I'd ride her three or four or five times and it was all good and hunky dory. And I thought, Oh good. We finally got her broke. We're, we're past that. And then boom, we'd go for a bronc ride. She never bucked me off and never got hurt and she never got hurt. Um, but you know, it was just one of those things where why, why are, why are we not making progress here? And it's like, I hit a, hit a wall and, um, and I'm, I'm very, I'm a, I'm quiet competitive. I'm not, I'm not loudly competitive. Like, uh, I'm not gonna tell everybody about how I'm going to win everything. You know what I mean? I'm not that type of person. I'm not the, but I am competitive in that. I, I want to make it happen. And especially with the mules, like, you know, I, I should be able to get this done. You know, I should be able to get you broke. Um, you know, and the other thing too, I, I mean, I don't regret making the Dally Diaries um, because now it has been a great educational tool for a lot of you. If you're going to watch any series on our video library, you ought to watch the Dally Diaries because it will teach you a lot. And, and you watch it with even the eyes of what not to do. I mean, that's easy for me to say now. I think when I made it, I, I didn't have that in mind. But you can watch it with what not to do. Um, and she taught me a lot of what not to do. You know, she come along right at the peak of me really, uh, b you know, being interested in studying a lot from, you know, Dr. Steve Peters, like I mentioned before, and learning about that mind. And, um, you know, I, I wish I just knew more then, you know, like, gosh, I wish you had to pay attention to this and how I, how I started that mule. Um, you know, if you watch the episode where she bucks the saddle off in the beginning, I mean, just an easy lesson right there is check your gear. Oh my gosh, don't be so dang dumb. Check your gear. I I, I should have checked my gear, you know. And I and I do believe that that saddle getting bucked off and getting caught around her head and her flinging that. It's all on video. You can watch all of that. It's on the video library. And I really believe that that episode set us so far back, and I didn't solve it soon enough. I, I let those negative effects linger in there. I wish I could have had a successful saddling, you know, after that. One thing I've learned since then is to really let the mule totally come down. And, and I wish, you know, after she bucked that saddle off, I wish I would have got her caught 
And I wish I would have just stopped and just sat there with her and just did nothing and let her completely come down and self-regulate with me being right there. I don't care if it took a half hour, an hour, or two hours, whatever it took. I wish I would have let her completely come down, and then I wish I would have saddled her up again. And then maybe she got bothered by it. Maybe she even bucked. Hopefully she wouldn't buck it off that time, but maybe she got bothered by it. And I'd hang in there with her, and I'd let her completely come down. You know, one of the one of the biggest things that that mule taught me is with the bucking is you know, you know, I used to, if you asked me this just a few years ago, um, mule starts to buck, what are you going to do? Like, so say you put the saddle on, it starts to buck. I used to tell you to, to drive the mule and keep it moving. Like make it, make it go forward out of that. Now what I'll tell you, so you so say you saddle up the mule, I'm going to keep a lead rope on that mule and they go to buck and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to just block that and try to just have them stop for a moment and self-regulate and come down. So instead of they buck and scatter and they stay in the flight frame of mind, that runaway frame of mind, that flee the scene frame of mind, stop and settle. So you get, if you get troubled, Mule, just stop and relax. And there's a phrase that Dr. Steve Peters teaches that I try to implement now, and that is to immobilize without fear. Now, make sure you pay attention to this because there's definitely immobilizing with fear. That's the freeze, and we do not want them to freeze. I want them to be able to immobilize without fear. That's not the freeze. That's just... The self-regulating, that's the coping, the coping skills that we teach about. That's what I want to do. So I would have done that with Dally if I had that opportunity right now to to basically rewire that to where, okay, hey, it's okay. You get bothered. Let's just pause. Let's just stand here and let that come down and then go again and then come down. And I would have taken all day long. I should have, well, the problem was it was in the evening and I went to quit, you know, it was getting dark, so I quit. And looking back now, I should have pulled the truck up with the headlights and went through this as long as it took to where she was totally cool. Because what happened was, you know, we we, we kind of just ended and she never did come down off of that. I think she hung on to that. I don't think she could self-regulate. I think she just packed around that sensitivity and, you know, I just didn't get it done. You know, I mean, it was on me. And so that mule definitely taught me how to fail and taught me how to, you know, basically say, you know what, there are some that are just too much for me because up to, up to Dally, somebody asked me, Hey, you think you can get this thing broke? Absolutely. You know, and there's that old, that old, uh, Western saying, you know, there ain't a bronc that can't be rode and a cowboy that can't be throwed. <laughs> you know, that's kind of, you know, somebody else is going to get along. The guy that has uh, uh, Dally now, he's a good friend of mine. And and basically Dally has a packing job. She's, she's too dangerous at this point in her life for anybody to really ride her um, and, you know, be totally confident and not get themselves in a wreck. Man, that really sucks. Um, so she's a pack meal. 
and um, she's got a big job packing down there. Uh, and it's good for her. You know, she can pack. She's not going to get anybody hurt in the pack string. She's going to be just fine. And uh, I was told just, I guess, a couple months ago, she's still, you know, having little bucking fits every now and again. But because she's a pack mule, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not a big drama thing, like whatever. And um, that's kind of the life she has at this point. And, um, you know, yeah, it just kind of sucks to fail. It really does. But it's part of life. And the lessons that I learned from that mule are going to be able to help me help so many people you know, and, and this is still a little bit of a fresher wound, you know, I mean, this is, this is, uh, current times. I mean, this is not like it was, you know, when I talk about some of these other meals, you know, talking about Snickers and that's, that's 25, 25 years ago. Uh, holy crap. It's, you know, it's a long time ago. Um, but you know, Dally's like a year ago, you know, so that's tougher, but those are, uh, those are a handful. Those are five of my personal meals that I wanted to talk about. You know, Rosie, Snickers, Bud, Riata, and Dally. Those are those are all mine. And, um, you know, learn total different things from each of them. But, you know, really getting back to like what Martin told me, you know, go learn from the mules. Go learn from the horses. Let them be your teacher. And... Um, I still have lots of questions for my mentors. <laughs> you know, I'm not ready just to just to ask the mule or just to ask the horse. Uh, I still got lots of questions, and um, and I know you guys have lots of questions still too. So you be sure to ask. You know, but I do think the mule is the best teacher. The horse is the best teacher. Um, we just need to learn how to learn. Learn how to pick up what they're putting down. What, what can we, you know, uh, what are they trying to tell us? You know, what, um, and, you know, being able to do clinics every week for me, you know, uh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't counted them up for 2023, but I know in 2022 we had over 700 head of mules, horses, and a few donks even, um, come through the classes and, that's awesome. You know, I get, I get to be around so many of them. Now I don't get my hands on every, every one of them at the clinics. In fact, I try not to, I try not to work your mules. Um, I'm there to teach the person and I've learned that the best, uh, knowledge is gained by me working with the people, not by me working the mules themselves, but working the, working with the people. And, um, but, but still I get a, I get to watch that many horses and mules. I get to be around them and I get to see them and I get to see what people are doing that works and what people are doing that doesn't work. And after every clinic, I'm better. And I get to go to the next clinic even better than that, you know? Um, so that's pretty fun for me, but you guys, this has been a, a pretty fun episode for me to reminisce about mules that I've learned from and the people I've learned from. And I hope, um, if you get anything out of this, I hope that it is a desire to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep pushing, to keep getting better. Uh, I talked about Martin quite a bit 
And one of my favorite quotes that he emphasizes all the time is there is no growth in the comfort zone and no comfort in the growth zone. And that pretty much sums it up. So, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope you get something out of it. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can leave me a review. Um, you can leave it on Spotify now. Um, if it, it should ask you, hey, what do you think of this episode? You can respond there. Uh, of course, you can always leave a review. Um, we'd love it if you'd leave me five stars and uh, tell me what you think on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, feel free to send me an email. My email is ty at tsmules.com. Feel free to ask your questions, send your feedback. And you can always find us on tsmules.com. There's a contact us page there. You can see where we're going for clinics. We got our 2024 clinic schedule up now. You can see where we're going. We've got a lot of uh, new spots I'm looking forward to. So be sure to check it out. Videos online and everything else you might need. Until then, you guys, God bless you, and we will see you down the road.